Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good evening, Blue Jays fans. Welcome to another episode of Jaybird Watching. Brandon Panic are in the host seat this week with my passenger and co-host, Craig Borden. How are you, sir? Doing wonderful, my friend, and enjoying what I think is the last day of spring or whatever the fuck of time it is. <laughs> See, it's 70 degrees here in Rochester, <laughs> New York today. <laughs> yeah, not too far up here either, man. I was able to run home from work as part of my uh, lead into going down to the gym with uh, shorts and t-shirt on, so can't complain when it's almost November in that kind of weather, huh? Yeah, doesn't sure as hell doesn't feel like the World Series is, t- you know, could be ending tonight. <laughs> It, it does, and it does, and it feels like uh, it's just starting, actually. But, uh, Craig, we got a guest on the line with us tonight, our good buddy Richard Burfer, who is now a graduate and owns two degrees, one from Western and one from Brock University. Richard Burfer, how are you? I'm doing okay, man. Uh, just another day in paradise. That's right. How was the uh, the commute home? I know you sent us a message saying it was a little bit messy. Uh, the, the funny thing is I haven't even gotten home, so I left work uh <laughs> I, I I left work at five o'clock. Um, I work down in Scarborough, and I live um, in King City. Um, so, still haven't gotten home yet. So I just kind of parked over near home, and I'll just drive home after we're done here. Well, we appreciate the time as always, buddy. It's always good to talk. To you. It's always good to have on. And yeah, guys, this could be the last night of Major League Baseball for the season. The Houston Astros currently have a three games to two lead over the Washington Nationals. Game six goes tonight, shortly after 8 o'clock. I want to touch on the Houston Astros and what a debacle it's been over the last week. Just to recap on what has happened. During the course of the ALCS celebrations, assistant GM Brandon Tobman, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, was quoted in shouting at female reporters saying, I'm so glad we got Roberto Osuna. I'm so fucking glad we got Roberto Osuna. And it was clearly directed at woman reporters. One of them was wearing a domestic violence bracelet as well. So this is clearly a situation that was totally uncalled for, totally insensitive. And Tobin and Houston Astros have fumbled the fallout consistently from this event. Richard, how the hell do the Houston Astros keep on fucking up this situation? Because they discredited the report from Stephanie Epstein, uh, the reporter for ESPN, uh, who reported on the story originally. They then apologized, saying, yes, after investigations, this did happen. When they met with Jeff Lino last week when the World Series started, 
He said he wasn't sure about retracting the statement, and then they finally came out towards the end of the week saying, yes, we apologize yet again, we'll retract our original statement. Richard, how the hell do they keep on fucking this up, man? Um, honestly, man, uh, I feel like the Houston Astros could have salvaged this entire situation by just being normal. Um, obviously, it's, it's super unfortunate that it happened. Um, Tubman should be smarter. I don't know if he was intoxicated or or whatever the situation may have been during the ALCS celebration, but it just you have to be better. You're smarter than that. It kind of sucks that this is a dude who worked his way up to assistant GM and because of one statement will probably never get another job in baseball. But I just think that the Houston Astros made this entire situation worse than it could have been if initially they just could have just apologized and it could have hopefully blown over because it's just a shame that uh, we're about to be celebrating the World Series where this is the biggest stage of professional baseball in the world and the lead story heading into it is this, you know. Um, it's, it's just unfortunate. And it's, it just sucks that the Houston Astros handled it the way they did because they could have handled it a lot better. It shouldn't be A.J. Hinch issuing the first apology over 24 hours after the fact. It shouldn't be the team owner issuing a, an apology like three, four days later. It shouldn't be uh, Lunau issuing an apology like almost a week later, you know? It's insane. It's the total opposite of what you'd think normal thinking people would do. The Houston Astros, man, I'll tell you guys, honestly, I loved them as a franchise before this whole, whole thing started. You can trace it back to when they acquired... Roberto Osuna, that was in itself a little dodgy, a little shaky, you know. And there's other incidents and cases of domestic violence issues around baseball that don't necessarily get handled very properly. You can look at a Roldis Chapman who ended up winning the Reliever of the Year Award when you can make a case for Liam Hendricks. Craig, I'm going to shift this discussion over to you. Was firing Brandon Taubman enough? Do you think they legitimately wanted to fire him because Jeff Luno said it was one of the hardest discussions he's had in his life? It shouldn't be hard to fire a guy when you make such a glaring and blatant mishap and mistake. What do you think? I think his content of his character thing here was completely thrown out, and you can't keep a guy like this on your team. I don't care what team you are. You don't want some jackass like this on your roster, even in your management, especially in that far in the high ranks of the front office. I just think it's hilarious that the Blue Jays were quote-unquote thrown under the bus for not handling the Roberto Osuna thing as good as they could have. But in all hindsight, it's like, okay, we are the <laughs> the moral compass even in this conversation, you know? The fact that they were saying the Blue Jays were going to bring back Osuna after all this mess, and they actually did the right thing and got rid of him. I can't believe with all this going on that we got Ken Giles, who we're going to end up talking to later. And the fact that the Astros have just completely dropped the football on this whole thing. This guy should have been kicked out five seconds into making that comment the first time. And I just feel like he's been running around probably since the Roberto Osuna trade saying the same kind of crap. And he's finally gotten called on it. I just think it took too long. Yeah. I think the big thing, yeah, sorry. I think just the big thing with this situation is after the whole Roberto Osuna trade happened, um, I feel like your PR team has to tell you, like, hey, guys, we're – we're walking on eggshells right now, so let's let's be mindful of just everything we do. Like, you just got to be better. It's unbelievable that this just happens, you know? 
I just can't believe Richard, that in the midst of this we haven't heard anything from Verlander or anything. You remember how pissed off he was initially with the, the trade? He wasn't very happy about it. Very um, I I think Justin Verlander made um, some stern. Um, he made a stern statement when there was a when a video surfaced of a minor leaguer hitting his wife. I don't remember if he made a similar statement with with those Suna thing. I don't know if it was. I'm maybe not that sure obvious. if it was. An, yeah, I'm yeah, not sure it was, if it was an official statement. It was kind of more subtle comments at the at the deadline when they did get Roberto Osuna. I'll have to go dig that up. I feel like it was like, like oh, that happened. <laughs> Frowny face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Well, Richard, you summed it up perfectly when I turned that over to you to start this conversation. This shouldn't be a talking point through what should be the biggest celebration in baseball, the World Series should always be focused on the field but you know what it raises some very important discussions which major league baseball has to get correct over the course of the offseason because they continue to shoot themselves in the foot before we get into a little bit of game six tonight guys i want to ask you one more question each i'll start with you craig so they teed up richard first last time then richard will go to you when major league baseball announced the winners of the reliever awards they selected roldis chapman who also has a history of domestic violence issues. He won the award in the middle of this whole Brandon Taubman fallout, and Josh Hader in the National League won the Reliever of the Year award, and he has his own spotty history of some racist and homophobic tweets. Uh, did they shoot themselves in the foot again by perhaps not giving the, or by just saying, you know what, maybe they should have won the award, but because of all this turmoil, maybe you shouldn't win the award or oldest Chapman. Probably should have been Liam Hendricks. Yeah, I think it came down to the fact that they just don't pay that much attention to the news around players for handing out awards because it's meant to be on merit. But with this all going on, it just seemed very untimely, right? And the fact that you should have maybe done something different just to maybe, you know, make sure everything is politically correct and all that. But I, and honestly, I honestly am very shocked that Liam Hendricks did not win based on. Merit alone, we all saw what Andralis Chapman did down the stretch, and it was not the Andralis Chapman from Cincinnati and Cubs year. You know, it, he, there was flaws. So the fact that Liam Hendricks was nothing but lights out and is an amazing story, I just I'm shocked that that didn't happen. And I guess just to build off of that, um, if Andralis Chapman did have the best season for an AL reliever, that fine. Obviously, uh, based on the situation with the Houston Astros, it's not really timely. But you have to rele- you have to announce who the AL reliever of the year is. So I get it, but it's just kind of like Craig mentioned. Like Liam Hendricks should have been the AL reliever of the year, and even on the NL side, Kirby Yates had a far better season than Josh Ader did. But it just seems that nobody knows who Kirby Yates is. Nobody really knows who Liam Hendricks is. Um, but everybody knows Chapman. Everybody knows Hater. Those are the big marquee names in baseball. And plus, um, being a playoff team, right? Exactly. That, and that's really for me. That's the most unfortunate thing. That it's that guys who deserve to get it didn't get it. And the just the stats alone are just it, what Kirby Yates did is far better than what Josh Hader did. What Liam Hendricks did is far better than than uh, what Araldis Chapman did. So that's the most unfortunate thing for me. Yeah. It's uh, Major League Baseball. You know what, guys, before you move on, one final closing thought on all that. 
they got to look themselves in the eye this offseason and learn how to get this kind of stuff right because they continue to get in their own way of building an audience. And domestic violence shouldn't be taken as lightly as it is. You know, the NFL has had its history of issues with domestic violence, and, and they have their own concussion problems, too, where they like to keep hush-hush and keep away from mainstream media. So Major League Baseball's got a lot to work on this offseason in terms of rebuilding their brand, their credibility, and the Houston Astros do as well. But, guys, we have a baseball game tonight. Game six, Steven Strasburg against Justin Verlander. Before we flip things over to our Blue Jays segment in terms of the relievers and the relievers here in review, Richard, is this going to game seven? Is Steven Strasburg going to show up tonight, or is Justin Verlander going to take this home for Houston tonight? I, I think it ends tonight. Um, I think Justin Verlander is going to pitch a remarkable game and hopefully shut a lot of people up who say he's not a good World Series pitcher. And oh, overall, I just think over the past three games, the Houston Astros figured out what they have to do to win baseball games, especially in October. You, it really just takes two things. you got to shove and you got to rake. And the Houston Astros figured out how to do both at the exact same time. And I think it. I think it has. At, at some point, someone's going to have to win a home game, and I think it happens tonight. I think that trend continues. That nobody <laughs> continues to win any home games at all. This is just the weirdest World Series, guys. Do you remember one like this that every team and through five games is an away win? I I can't think of even a, a, three games out of the five that were away wins or anything like that. It's just insane to see that you're flip-flopping this based on who's the away team so i'm wondering how much the dh in tonight's game actually might play in the uh, nationals offensive favor the fact that they have not been hitting and getting that extra real bat in the lineup there's not as much dancing through the lineup being able to play the al game to this evening and did you guys see the fact that steven strasberg has pitched in three postseason eliminations games and he has won all three of them could be interesting mm-hmm. i think it's going to be a one heck of a nail biter one way or the other i don't think we're going to see the blowout that we've seen the last two nights mm-hmm. i i also with the houston Astros, i just think they're pretty much ready for any sort of situation they have four or five guys that they can rely on in the bullpen their lineup is a cheat code and the Washington Nationals, they they need to ride their starters because if Steven Strasburg doesn't give you six six to seven innings, which I think he will, you're you're in trouble, and you still have no idea what the status of Max Scherzer is. Um, oh, he's officially announced for tomorrow night. Of, oh, well, there we go. And um, <laughs> there we go. And yeah. in terms of the Nats bullpen, it's just Sean Doolittle or Daniel Hudson, and maybe maybe uh, Patrick Corbin, you know, other than that, there's nothing there. And if, you know, let's say this game goes to extra innings, what is, what's, what are the Nats going to do? It's going to be interesting, guys. There's no doubt about that. Craig, building up on what you did, chimed in with there. Steven Strauss, or sorry, not Steven Strauss, Matt Scherzer is officially going to go in game seven if there is one. He is not available to pitch tonight for the Washington Nationals. So, Richard, as you said, there's a chance we'll see Patrick Corbin if it goes late in the extra innings. We'll definitely see Sean Doolittle and Daniel Hudson. And that is actually the perfect segue, thank you, Richard, into our Blue Jays. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Into our Blue Jays season in review. Richard, last week, Craig and I went over the state of the starting pitchers uh, on our episode last week, and we decided to stick with the pitching side of things and going into the bullpen. And I actually want to touch on Daniel Hudson 
because he did start his season with the Toronto Blue Jays this year. He was picked up right at the end of spring training when he was let go after an atrocious spring training where he gave up five home runs, I believe, in his appearances with the Anaheim Angels. Blue Jays picked him up. He continued that home run trend on opening day by giving up a two-run shot to Kristen Stewart. The Tigers ended up winning. But after that, Richard, Daniel Hudson quickly became one of the best pitchers behind Ken Giles in that Blue Jays bullpen. How would you summarize his tenure, his brief tenure as a Toronto Blue Jay? I, I think it was an, incre- an incredible get for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, I know the Los Angeles Angels play their spring training ball in Arizona, and the ball tends to fly there a lot, so that was probably the reason why he gave up five bombs. But if you just watch Daniel Hudson pitch, like his stuff is good. This dude, before he blew his elbow out, um, he had legit stuff, and he was a top, he was one of the top starters in the NL with the Diamondbacks. So it doesn't surprise me that he put everything together, but it was just really nice to see that Daniel Hudson figured it out and you just watch him pitch. Really great fastball, lots of life on that pitch, and pairs it with an electric slider. And um, I just think that the Nationals got themselves obviously a really, really good reliever, and. I mean, Daniel Hudson is just not one of the sexy names at the trade market that everybody talks about. But if you watch it, if you look at his stuff, just raw stuff, you're just like, yeah, that guy's legit. Craig, what about you? Daniel Hudson might be single-handedly the reason the Washington Nationals are in the World Series. <laughs> he's he self he righted the ship in that bullpen, fellas. Because other than Sean Doolittle, they were a hot padre at best of what was going on in the first half of the season. It was definitely moving in the right direction, but I think that Daniel Hudson joining that bullpen was that veteran that they needed. And watching him pitch this year was a pleasure. After watching his first few outings, I obviously wasn't quite as skeptical, but he, uh, or was more skeptical than me, but a three ERA through 48 innings, guys, before we traded him, he wins six games. What You weren't expecting that coming out of spring training after we dumpster dove for him. And this is just the continuing trend that the Toronto Blue Jays have been able to do with veteran pitching in their bullpen again this year. We had Tyler the Clipper, Joe Smith and company last season, and it's been the same thing every year that they somehow squeeze a little bit extra out of everybody come after the spring training, and it was very exciting to see the Blue Jays have Daniel Hudson this season. Mm -hmm. It absolutely was. He uh, went out there, as you said, Craig, three ERA right on the nose, a FIP of 4.19. That was a little less kind to him, but regardless, out of the bullpen, he was lights out for the Blue Jays, especially in the times when they were missing Ken Giles at the back end of that bullpen due to injury. Uh, and you know what? He turned himself into a trade chip. I think that's exactly what this front office has made a hallmark over the last few years of doing, is picking guys up towards the end of the offseason or throughout spring training. You mentioned Tyler Clipper. They're signing a Sung Wan Oh a few years ago. Uh, anybody, Joe Smith, you name it, they were all able to flip them uh, at the trade deadline for pieces. may not be the sexiest return, obviously, because you're moving them for a reliever. The Blue Jays ended up getting Kyle Johnston. And, Richard, I know you're a big prospect guy. Give us a little bit of a lowdown on the return they got for Daniel Hudson in Kyle Johnston. What do you expect out of him moving forward? Is he a piece that could feature, that could eventually make his way to the major leagues, uh, or do you think he's just more of an organization depth guy? I think it's more of an org guy. Um, I'm not a big believer in Kyle Johnston. Uh, the the one guy that the Jays did get that flew kind of under the radar was Thomas Hatch, I believe his name is. Yeah, it was from the Cubs. 
I got yep. some intriguing stuff. Like high spin rate guy on his fastball. I, that's the dude that I have my eyes on. So it sucks that we only got Kyle Johnson for Daniel Hudson, but I mean that's kind of what you should expect from a for a dude who pitched one inning, usually in the seventh or the eighth, and has an expiring contract. So it's something you have to expect. This front office has done a fantastic job, as we mentioned. And, yeah, I agree with you there, Richard. Definitely seems like more of an org guy. I do believe he mm-hmm. has a high-velocity fastball, but uh, control remains important for him uh, throughout the course of that. So, yeah, Daniel Hudson has made himself an extremely valuable commodity in the Washington National bullpen. We'll probably see him pitch tonight as it goes along. And, honestly, guys, that's about what we can talk about Daniel Hudson. He came in here. He pitched his way into being a trade chip for this team and ended up being able to get a guy in Kyle Johnson to add to this organization. And they did the exact same thing with David Phelps. Craig, I'll tee it up to you. We didn't get to see much of David Phelps uh, as a Toronto Blue Jay. He was rehabbing uh, from his injury that he sustained when he was with the uh, Marlins and the Mariners back in 2017. Didn't pitch at all in 2018. Only got into 17 games with the Toronto Blue Jays. So just a quick little wrap-up on David Phelps. As you mentioned, they got Thomas Hatch. Frank, yeah. we've talked about Thomas Hatch a few times on this podcast. What do you think, ultimately, Thomas Hatch ends up being, Craig, a bullpen guy? Because, man, I believe they added a cutter uh, to Thomas Hatch's repertoire after he got over here and he just took off. Pretty good return for David Phelps, no? Yeah, and honestly, I was shocked that we even got this trade, and especially getting the return for, like, Ben Hatch. You know, The fact that David Phelps, I was expecting him to be the veteran guy in our bullpen for the next two years. He's going to come back from Tommy John. He's going to be just, you know, what he's been. He's been a solid pitcher throughout his major league career, and I figured he was going to be that mentor through, you know, on the cheap side of a contract. They got him. If you get something extra out of him, you flip him. I just couldn't believe that that flip was only after 17 innings with the Toronto Blue Jays this year after finally putting everything back together. And he ended up going pretty good for the Chicago Cubs this year, too. So he pitched a total of 34 innings this year with a 3.41 ERA. Guys, not a bad deal, but the fact that we got something that is a plus side wild card, I'm going to say, with Thomas Hatch. Worst case scenario right now, he's a bullpen guy, and I think he's going to have no problem being that. But with that extra pitch that you were alluding to there, Brendan, he is a sneaky dark horse candidate to possibly be in this rotation eventually. Richard, any thoughts on Thomas Hatch? I'm, like I said, I'm a big fan of uh, Thomas Hatch. I personally, I think he's a, just a long-term bull, bullpen guy. Um, I would hope that the Blue Jays make some additions uh, to their to their starting rotation that we don't have to rely on Thomas Hatch being in our rotation. The thing is, if Thomas Hatch is in the Blue Jays rotation in two, three years, I mean, something went completely wrong because that's not, that's super not ideal, especially if the plan for the Blue Jays is to compete in the next two, three years. Plus with the talent. We they got have right so many you. other names. <laughs> they got, yeah, they have so many other names in that system. Yeah, I agree. I think he'll be a very useful piece for this front office. And there's another guy that we can chalk up to the front office picking up in the offseason. A very sneaky signing. Honestly, guys, I thought because they had David Phelps under team control until the end of next season that he would be kept, continue to build up his value, and be brought back for the 2020 bullpen, considering how many holes there currently are. But you know what? You can find relievers, Diamond Dozen, and we saw that prime example with Joe Biagini picking up picking him up off the Rule 5 draft from the San Francisco Giants. Mm-hmm. Had a fantastic 2016 season. And then 2017-2018, flip-flop between the bullpen and the starting rotation. 
Ultimately, he went back to the bullpen this year and ended up being a part of the Aaron Sanchez, Cal Stevenson, and Joe Biagini trade for Derek Fisher. Craig, give us a little bit of a lowdown on Joe Biagini's tenure as a Toronto Blue Jay specifically this season, and do you think they ended up uh, making a very good trade uh, for Derek Fisher by throwing in Joe Biagini? I was shocked that he got thrown into this because I didn't see him as a high-leverage guy ever in all reality, guys. I, I thought he had good stuff, and I'm watching him coming in 2016, I didn't think it was going to be that good. I wonder how much of it was the league didn't ever really catch up to him in 2016. But then the fact that they turned around and Jabba rules him for freaking flip-flopping him back and forth in the starting rotation in the bullpen, that ruined him <laughs> for two seasons, guys. It was nice to finally see him come back and be a bullpen piece because I think that's where his real value is as his major league career continues to unfold. He's going to be just 30 coming into this season, guys, next year. And honestly, in hindsight from the trade, if we don't see Aaron Sanchez return at all again, this is the piece that everybody would talk about from this trade that was the big part from uh, Derek Fisher, regardless of how big of a Cal Stevenson fan I am. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, why don't you yeah. get a little bit of a lowdown on Derek Fisher, but also – Keeping in mind that, yeah, Joe Biagini, you know what, you could probably replace him pretty easily in the bullpen, right? Yeah, Joe Biagini is the type of guy you can replace any any year. Every single team has two or three Joe Biagini's in their bullpen. You know, the Jays essentially had David Phelps, who is could just take Joe Biagini's place, and we just got him out of a dumpster, you know. So Joe Biagini is replaceable. Aaron Sanchez, he just seemed like a guy who needed a fresh start in our a in a diff on a different team, and hopefully the Houston Astros can figure it out because, by all accounts, Aaron Sanchez is a classy dude with really good stuff that just dude, needs to needs to stay healthy, and hopefully he can return at some point next year after his uh, after he's done with his shoulder rehab. And and with Cal Stevenson, I I think he's a nice hitter. Um, I'm, I'm I wasn't the craziest fan of Cal Stevenson. I think. He could turn out to be something, but he could also be the type of dude that is drafted by pretty much every single season. Like there, a lot of minor league systems have their own Cal Stevenson, and I think he's a replaceable piece. But in terms of Derek Fisher, I think um, he's similar to Aaron Sanchez, a guy who needs a fresh start on a new team and needs consistent at bats because that's something he didn't get in Houston because they have George Springer and uh, and Josh Reddick and. Obviously, they have Kyle Tucker coming up through the system, who's uh, who's supposedly one of the top prospects in baseball. Um, but Derek Fisher is a dude who has two distinct tools, and that's speed and he has insane raw power. And it's obviously something that Jays value a lot. So hopefully Derek Fisher can put everything together because he was raking in AAA. So hopefully this upcoming season with regular at-bats, he can kind of piece, start piecing things together. It's still slightly concerning that he strikes out a lot. I don't know if he can ever get rid of that swing and miss element in his in his game. But if he puts together some sort of season where he averages like 265 with an on-base percentage of 330 and an OBP of oh and an OPS of around 800 with like 25, 30 bombs, then I mean that's pretty pretty good. Absolutely. And he has to do it. He has the potential to do it, which I think is what the Jays see. Absolutely. The fact that we are able to trade three relievers, guys, two of them kind of picked up late in the off season in spring training to get organization depth, but also to flip Joe Biagini along with Aaron Sanchez 
and Cal Stevenson to get a guy who could be really good in Derek Fisher with all those raw tools that you mentioned there, Richard, could be a win. And those three guys were ended up shipping out of town, so they will not figure in to the 2020 Blue Jays bullpen. So let's focus now on three guys. We'll go on two guys first, and then we'll get to the gold standard in Ken Giles. I want to start with Elvis Luciano. Richard, I'm going to tee this one up for you. We saw a little bit of good. We saw a lot of bad with Elvis Luciano. They ended up being able to stash him on the 60-day injured list to get him through the season because it was pretty clear the more he was going to pitch, the more he was going to be exposed. But there's a lot of intriguing stuff with Elvis Luciano. Probably we'll start the year down in the minors now that he can be in the minor leagues of the Toronto Blue Jays. Don't think he figures into this bullpen at all because he's still got a lot of developing to do. Ultimately, where do you see Luciano figuring in with this team, say, two to three years down the road? Because some people think you could add him to that impressive collection of arms that this front office has built up in the minor leagues. Probably, obviously, not on the level of an Adam Klaffenstein and Alec Manoa uh, and, and some of those guys. But could he be a starter, or do you think he ultimately ends up being uh, more of a high-leverage guy at the back end of the bullpen with his good stuff? I think it's just really, really tough to project a guy like Luciano right now because he has a really, really good electric fastball. And realistically, he had no business pitching in MLB this this past season. Like, he was a dude who could have been pitching in rookie ball or, or low A because of just the level his pitching was at. He doesn't really have an established secondary pitch and – you can just tell how raw he is on the mountain. At this point, he's just a guy with really, really great arm strength, electric arm speed, a, an electric fastball, and some raw stuff to, that could be really, really good on some days, but really, really bad on other days. So, I think it's, I think it's a couple of years until we see Elvis uh, Luciano back on the major league level, and realistically, I think he would slot in in the bullpen at some point if the if the Jays can figure out a secondary a consistent secondary pitch with them and and just looking at the Jays farm system, they have plenty of guys who can who should be able to step in as as starters. Like I'm I'm a really big fan of uh, of Clothenstein. I think he's he and Nate Pearson are the big names that will eventually take over the rotation. I don't think the Jays will need to rely on uh Elvis to be a key piece in that rotation but if he can figure something out with the secondary stuff and be a good relief arm then i'm totally happy with it Craig, this is that same case guys grabbing a guy with what could be very very good talent right how many guys like this even come up in the rule five draft i think this is the first kid that was this young with this many tools that in a long time i think he was the youngest rule five draft pick am i wrong with that statement does anybody remember uh, you, you're correct you're absolutely correct and I, I, mean, I just think it's I hilarious. Mean, keep in mind, Elvis is like 12. Yeah, well, that and the fact he's the keep first mind, millennial Elvis to make the 12, majors. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but fellas, I think it's just as intriguing to figure out even where the hell he's going next year. We know he's probably not going to be in the Blue Jays bullpen, like almost like 99%, sure. But is after being in the major leagues for a year, do you see him going all the way down to Lansing or to Deaton? Or do you see him, I think he's probably going to end up just landing in double A, and he might spend a year or two at double A, but just to get some consistent coaching, he didn't do completely horrible guys. There were some times where he looked like, Oh, there's something in the tank here. And then the rest of it was kind of like, Oh yeah, that's why he's 19, (laughs) you know? So, but the fact that he does have some electric stuff is going to be very intriguing, but I do think that minimum he ends up being like that sixth guy in a rotation 
just waiting in the bullpen, eating up innings. Uh, maybe your long guy, if you're going to keep him on that line where he's possibly starting or not. But I think that Richard's right that the plethora of talent that we have coming through in the Blue Jays starting rotation, mm-hmm. guys, there's just so many good arms that Luciano's going to get lost in that shuffle. Yeah, and uh, if I can just make a quick comment, um, with a guy like this, he's so young, so as like the Blue Jays, it just makes so much sense to just gamble on that arm because the arm is special. And like Craig mentioned, there are times when he just got through outings on pure talent and stuff alone. But then again, guys like him, it's a dime a dozen. There's so many of them. We could maybe never hear of him again if he just doesn't develop true secondary stuff because just having an electric fastball, unless you're Zach Britton, you're pretty much screwed, you know. So we might we <laughs> yeah. might we might hear of him again if he if he makes the necessary steps to develop and get better and and sharpen the secondaries, or we might never hear of him again because he has a really good fastball, spotty command, and nothing else. Guys, there's one I want to touch upon and go in a little bit of detail before we go to Ken Giles, and that's Wilmer Font. And straight up, I'll ask you this question first, Craig, and then we'll turn it over to Richard. As Wilmer Font secured himself a spot in the 2020 bullpen with how well he fared as the Blue Jays opener as the season went along. <laughs> Baseball reference has him as our fifth starter guy. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why we're we talking bullpen. <laughs> so, but no, I, I don't know what we tapped into with Wilmer Font all of a sudden. But I knew he's always had talent, but he's always been that guy that I'm like, okay, great. You know, With the Mets side, he just didn't see anything special going on, and he's kind of b- bounced around all over the majors. The fact that he finally looks like he put some piece together that he could be a good, solid piece for this bullpen next year when there is some good amount of uncertainty in that bullpen with knowing you got a guy like Laura Font that can just come in and be solid for an inning or two. You know, there's only so many relievers that go more than one inning, and uh, seeing him do that a few times as an opener this year it was very intriguing. And the fact that he's fr- hitting uh, those the top of the order every time that's great, guys. You know, that's a guy that's going to end up being a high leverage uh, arm if he's going to be able to face the top of orders in the opening situation. I know there's only so many teams that jump out the gate and beat the living hell out of you in the first inning, but it could have been Elvis Luciano in that situation. We could have been down 5 nothing every game. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they found something really special with uh, Wilmer Font. Um, hopefully he carries it over into this season because he does have intriguing stuff. His fastball gets up there to 95, 96, good curveball, a splitter that he he mixes in there. So he has the stuff to do it for a couple of innings. Um, I, I personally have, I have no issue with him. I think he's, I hope he can keep it going because his track record suggests that he hasn't been able to piece things together across multiple seasons. But if he is able to do that, that's, very, very helpful for obviously for the Jays, especially because if you look at their starting rotation right now, there's a ton of questions. You know, having a Nothing 12.1 strikeout for nine isn't hurting them either. <laughs> There's nothing more strong to build up in your case there, Richard, that he hasn't been able to put things together. The Blue Jays were 15 over the last two seasons, so he's bounced around quite a bit with the Dodgers, the Rays, the Mets, the Athletics. There's been quite a few teams that Wilmer Font has been on over the last little while. But yeah. on the complete opposite side of that spectrum, guys, let's dive into Ken Giles a little bit. 
Ken Jobs was probably, if not one of the best relievers in all of baseball this past season. He ultimately got 23 saves. There wasn't too many save opportunities for him. He posted a 4.09K per nine, uh, ERA of 1.87, a FIP of 2.27, and a 1.8F4 out of the bullpen. Richard, the big talking point on Ken Giles will be what do they do with him as the offseason goes along because there's definitely some merit in trading him, but there's also definitely some merit in keeping him around, uh, possibly even beyond 2020. We know how volatile relievers can be. Ken Giles over the last few years have been extremely up and down in some seasons, but he consistently, other than 2018, has posted an F4 total of 1.4 or higher every year that he's been in the big league. So what would you do with Ken Giles if you were the GM of the Toronto Blue Jays? Would you keep him or would you flip him this offseason? I think it just depends on what the plan is going forward, and I think the, the Jays are going to have to first see how the market materializes um, over the next few months. Maybe they're going to make a few a uh, few moves that they will think it's probably worth keeping Ken Giles, or maybe they'll decide to ship him out. But I think the benefit for the Jays is they can be patient with a guy like that because by I mean by midseason everyone's going to be needing a high leverage arm like Ken Giles. But the main question I have with a guy like Giles is that his health has been a question mark this past season. Obviously, he had his elbow stuff, but at the same time, the Jays just had. Ne- had they just looked like they weren't ever confident with having him pitch on back-to-backs or have him throw on three or four days, you know. And for playoff teams that would need a guy like Ken Giles, that's important. You have to have a guy who's ready to go two two days in a row, three days in a row. Um, and it seems like Ken Giles' medicals are were kind of sketchy, which is why a trade just didn't go down. Um, last season. Obviously, he was hurt as well and he was on the DL, but it seems like there was a little bit more more there that kind of forced the trade off the table. Craig? Yeah, guys, I'm just so thankful that we actually get another season out of him if they don't trade him this season, or I mean offseason. The fact that he has had 20 saves in the last three years, is it says something. He's played on, other than the 2017 Astros, the Blue Jays have been nothing special and still being able to put 20 saves together each year. Very impressive. And the fact that he is, when it is a save opportunity, guys, completely lights out. Um, I do agree with Richard that I do want to see more out of him this season with those multiple days and stuff like that, especially if the Blue Jays come out of the gate and are halfway competitive. Them. And then if they aren't, you want to see Ken Giles still continuing to just dominate and do what he's been doing. And the Blue Jays could get the same cash out that they wanted this season if somebody the right team calls. You know, everybody's always looking for that lights out guy down the end of the stretch. And Ken Giles can be and has shown in the last few years he is that guy. Yeah. It was an incredible season. He definitely, on my grades, gets an A-plus. I'm sure he gets an A-plus for all you guys as well. But as we start to wrap things up, guys, on our bullpen year in review, there were some other names that we didn't really touch on in detail. Because we know the bullpens are always in flux, always changing. Relievers are so volatile. So I'm going to list off a few names here, and I'll give you each the floor before we wrap things up on who impressed you most or who is the most disappointing this season. Uh, Sam Gavilio, Derek Law, Ryan Tapera. After that, in terms of those mainstays, we saw a whole bunch of different guys come up and down from Buffalo. There was Jason Adam, Buddy Boshears, Jordan Romano, 
Thomas Pannone was flip-flopping between the bullpen and the starting rotation at times. Justin Schaefer, Brock Stewart, and even Yenzi Diaz got an appearance, but I won't even chalk him up on that list. Uh, Richard, we'll turn things over to you. Out of those names that I mentioned, who do you think has a spot locked down for 2020? Who impressed you the most? And maybe who was the most disappointing? I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know the contract situations, but it, you kind of figure that Ryan Tepera is going to be in the plans because when he's healthy, the stuff is electric. Um, Adams is a guy who's interesting because I really, really like his fastball and the stuff he features. Um, it just his command can get a pretty inconsistent every now and then. But other than that, the Jays just they don't really have that many big arms. Like Thomas Pannone's a dude who just doesn't have the stuff that can build confidence in a team you know like you're in the playoff right now we're watching the the world series and dudes are coming out pumping 97 98 99 and thomas pannone's not that dude he doesn't have the stuff to just blow 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 a baseball by bats you know especially the best hitters in the world um so i think the jays have to a lot of figuring out to do on the pitching side with the rotation and with the bullpen because there's not a lot of dudes that I fully trust going into next season. Craig? Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that bit about Pannone because with Tim Meza being out with his injury, the fact that he's going to have to probably step up because the other names are the Kirby Sneeds and whatnot of the world that haven't gotten Major League experience to the point. Yes, they're probably to that point where they're ready for a shot, but that lefty arm is kind of a wild card in our bullpen right now, guys. So it's going to be interesting to see how much of a shot he gets. But the fact, uh, as far as 2019 is concerned, um, I don't know how Sam Gabilio doesn't get an MVP, at least for the first half of this season in the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen. Because there was a point there in this season that he was really the only guy that was really stringing innings together out of our bullpen. Or at least being that valuable handoff from the, oh my god, what the fuck happened to start the game with whoever the hell was on the mound to get to your normal bullpen. Sam Gabilio was very important in that part of the rail. And I think he's going to be important going forward. I do agree with Richard, though, that we need somebody that just oozes a velocity other than Ken Giles. Yeah, and I mean, even if it's not velocity, at least like have some dudes who high spin rate guys, dudes who get, whose stuff play up. Yeah, because the the Jays that's that's the big thing with the Jays. Like you look at their rotation, you look at their relievers. Uh, there's not a lot of dominating velocity guys that the Jays have, but at the same time, we don't even have guys whose velocity plays up because of their spin rate and and uh, stuff like that, so. Yeah, got to pick yeah. one or the other, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, there's going to be a lot of changes to this Blue Jays bullpen over the course of the offseason. We'll be here to cover it every step of the way, whether it's a Rule 5 edition, some guys coming up from AAA. We will get into all of that as the offseason continues to roll along. We'll be here with you every step of the way. Richard? The floor is yours before we let you go and continue your drive up what I'm assuming is the 400 North. Promote yourself, man. Promote your degree that you got at Brock recently, what you're doing for work, what you want to do in baseball, anything you can think of that you want all of our listeners to know about you. The floor is yours, my friend. Awesome. Well, first of all, guys, thank you again for having me on. Love talking baseball with you dudes. Uh, before the plug, since we were talking about relievers, a really interesting name that I think might fit into the bullpen next year is Trent Thornton. 
just a, a neat name to Ooh. think about. But hmm. um, other than that, I just graduated from Brock University, defended my master's in kinesiology at the end of August, uh, did a lot of pitching biomechanics research, and now I transition into a job with uh, Baseball Development Group in Scarborough. Um, we're doing a lot of pitch design stuff, which is super interesting. That's kind of the new fad in baseball, it seems. And other than that, I'm hoping to start an opportunity with an MLB team sometime soon, talking to teams. Things are things are starting to move in, in a positive direction. So there we go. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Richard Burps. Awesome content, always. Awesome, awesome. Craig, any final thoughts before we wrap up tonight? I just happened to be reading the Blue Jays headlines and apparently picked up a reliever during our bullpen episode. <laughs> That's right, it's Anthony Bass. Anthony Bass <laughs> for the the not-so-mentioned uh, pickup of Ryan Dahl was designated for assignment, folks. <laughs> so we went from Dahl to Bass. <laughs> so we had a random, uh, random arm to throw into the uh, uh, Blue Jays 2019 bullpen I'm just going to say mayhem because that's just where it's going to go. <laughs> that's, that's right, my friend. It's going to be in a constant state of flux. And as I mentioned, we'll be here every step of the way throughout the offseason. On Bird watching. Fellas, let's wrap things up with a let's go Blue Jays. Let's go Blue Jays. Let's go Blue Jays. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.